Cattle Talk with Rick and Paul. I'm Rick Cushman. And I'm Paul Wagner. So, Paul, when you go out to dinner, and I've heard you do, why do you go? Uh, to do something nice for my wife, who often does the cooking in our house, and to have a good time. Wrong, my friend. Wrong, wrong, wrong. Really? You, you go out to get an education. You don't know it, but some wine writers and wine <laughs> servers do. Well, there may be a disagreement of opinion on this There one. might be. And today we're going to talk about those wine people determined to educate you, even if it ruins your night. Also today, <laughs> listeners ask about wine email offers, whether bad wine can hurt you, and an old friend of the show asks about white pinot. Mm-hmm. Plus, we decipher some code words in our truly horrible wine writing, and as usual, usual make it fun of wine snobs, especially the ones that want to educate you. Don't educate me. I'm, I'm educated just enough. That's right. And by the way, we are still yet still on Capital Public Radio's podcast lineup, despite them being otherwise a high class NPR station for Sacramento. We're even in the special category of Capital Public Radio recommends. You can find us there. And thank you for that. And thank you for putting us right next to some of those big names that we all listen to because we don't necessarily want to listen to Rick and Paul, but we want to listen to them. Most people would be wise to go elsewhere, but we are there. And we're also taping a show live at Four Fighters. That would be this Saturday, unless you are listening to the show after it's been loaded for a few days. And then that was last Saturday, but it's May 6th. Wait a minute. Who's been loaded for a few days? Well, me, but that's that's usual. (laughs) It's in any case, Four Fires in Plymouth. It's a great festival, Amador <laughs> County Fairgrounds. And uh, if it is not yet May 6th, come out and see us. Ask us a question. In middle afternoon, uh, we will be taping a show live. Yes, you can meet the most famous member of our team, Matt Pacini. That's right. He'll that, be there. That is our uh, that is our producer and uh, an editor and uh, guy runs the control room. Uh, okay, so uh, Paul, time to get educated. Okay. So, okay. you know... Um, we, uh, do I have to get educated right now? Well... Um, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, you have to sit and listen. I'm taking out my ruler. Okay. I can see what's going to happen here is, Matt, you may want to cut this part out because he's about to get on a soapbox. <laughs> no, I'm not, actually. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to allow uh, this, these, this, these idiot question writers to, to hang themselves with their own nooses. But this is an idea we <laughs> complain about a lot, and it comes from all over the wine industry. You know, and, and fundamentally, it's this notion that your business model is one where you have to educate your customers before they can buy your product. Right. Right. And it's it's just They're horrific. not smart enough to enjoy it without sitting through a lecture. Yeah, right. That's, right. And is uh, it's it it you know So it, you want to go to dinner and I'm going to take you to your high school biology class. Sort of, yeah. yeah. So so even worse, it, it, there's a lot of this in the industry, but it's even worse from the writing side of the wine world because uh, there's just always this feeling like they need to know more uh, that everybody needs to know more and more and more. So this is a story that comes from an allegedly consumer-friendly website newsletter kind of thing. This is uh, it's pretty, for, this is for wine. It's a wine. Lover, it's a, yeah, it's wine, wine and, and okay. some spirits do it mostly wine. Yeah. It's a pretty big one, uh, and they asked a bunch of sommeliers some questions. And the psalms the psalms tried to be friendly and a little less pushy about it, but the questions were pretty bad. So here's the list of the questions they asked. Okay, first one. How do you find out your guests' wine knowledge? Which I like. It's like asking them what grade did they finish. You know? <laughs> Can we see your high school transcripts yes. while you make your reservation? Yes, please. Yes. If you have any letters, we want to know. <laughs> Give us your five favorite varietals. Yeah. Right. Um, good. All right. So, and this is, the, this is the one that's after that was, how do you teach your guests? With a carrot and a stick. 
They get they get demerit marks. We put them on the board if they're talking out loud in class. Yes, and and you stand there, and if somebody starts to while you lecture them about wine, if someone starts to interrupt meal, you, yes, you make them you make them stand outside, right out. Yes, or you know, stand, oh. <laughs> and then now wait a wait a minute. Let, let me let me let me get back to this. It's called wine service. Yes. Not. And yet the people who are serving have suddenly stopped being servants, and now they are teachers, and they're asking the winery, uh, the, the customers to pay attention and sit up straight in their, in their, at their desks. Yeah, and it was in the, the re- reaction among the sommeliers that they asked were, were, was across the board, but, but this was one that they all basically took the bait on. I don't think bait's the word because for them it is something that they're always thinking, yeah. that it's their job— to teach something every time they show up at the table. Right. Which, you know, it's the server, the food person doesn't do that. Right. You know, it's not, if you go to a, and, and buy your bar, barista doesn't do that with your coffee. Oh, let me, let me tell you a little bit about coffee. Let me tell you a little bit about broccoli. <laughs> yes. Broccoli. Oh, yeah. No, I want to know about broccoli. Is it, <laughs> broccoli as a crucifix vegetable. No. <laughs> All right. Here, here's another one. Okay. And then this is even more many. What do you do to instruct them about your wine list? You tell them to open, open it. it. <laughs> That's exactly where I was That's going. That's the hard one. Those, see those words? Those are names of wines. <laughs> and then that numbers the price. And pick one. <laughs> yes. Pick one. I, 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 oh, oh. Right. And, then, and then this is where it starts to get even more evil. So these next three questions, these were questions that we asked. Was, right. How do you change their minds and get them to try something new? Well, you jump up and down and scream, no, no, no. <laughs> you that's do not n- like that. <laughs> you're, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. Now you'll drink what I want. And and the Psalms, this was the one where they started to get a little resistance. And, yeah. you know, most of them said, well, you know, if folks like things, they should like things. But what I often try to do is say, if you like this, then you'll like that. Have right. you tried, if you like X, have you tried Y? Right. You know, and, and that's fine. If somebody's asking you, what do you have that's right. like that? Or what might go with this dinner? Last time I was here, I had that petite Syrah. Yeah. But it not, your job is not to change teach. their minds. Your job, your job is to serve, not to teach, right. not to instruct. Yeah. Yeah. And then this, and here's another one, um, which was even more horrible was can you convince your guests they shouldn't always be drinking Chardonnay or Cabernet? Nope. Nope. Not if you're doing your job right, <laughs> no. you can't, because yeah. your job is to serve them what they want to eat and drink. It's and not- that is your job. You're a servant. Yes. And lots of people have a label. Uh, we had a show just last week that was a survey, and lots of people, right. they, they, Choose brand and uh, and grape as their first that's, thing. That's right. That's what they Nothing want. Nothing wrong with that. If that's you right. like that, yeah. I can hardly wait for the time I walk into a to a ice cream shop and I want a damn scoop of chocolate ice cream. No, and, no, vanilla. It's ha- vanilla for you, Paul Wagner. No, or or even worse. <laughs> have you tried our new peanut butter mocha fudgical cranberry crunch? No, I just want a chocolate ice cream. Actually, that peanut butter cranberry chocolate crunch. <laughs> Rick, you're made for these guys. <laughs> you're made for these guys. And then there's the last one, and, and this one is a little less nutso, but but it it I, I just I never lo- I, I they always ask this question of every wine professional ever. Right. How'd you get into wine? Well, I was walking along the edge of a tank and I tripped. Yeah, I was gonna say I pulled that cork and and it got all and, over you. But but it's kind of like you know when did you get the call? 
Right. You know, it's because right. now that you are into wine. Put your wine, hand on that you, bottle you are something and special. feel the vibrations we, we, of the Lord coming through to you. We don't, we don't ask, you know, how'd you get into chicken? <laughs> <laughs> Rick, you don't want to know that. <laughs> no, I probably don't. But, all right. Okay. No, but you're absolutely right. It, yeah, you can be passionate about wine, but you... But none of the other things on the menu are going to get the same kind. You know, when did you get into cheese? You know, they, somebody, somebody opened up the package. It smelled good. Yeah. Okay, fine. Yeah. Next. Yeah. Well, speaking of cheese, uh, <laughs> time for uh, us speaking to Speaking of an- things that <laughs> often it. smell uh, a little questionable. That's right. Time for us to answer a few questions. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening to Ball Talk with Rick and Paul. If you'd like to ask us a question, come to our website, rickandpaulwine.com. All one word, Rick and Paul Wine. Uh, find us on iTunes. Uh, send questions uh, by pigeon if it doesn't work Go on the website. Go to Capital Public Radio. Click on our podcast yeah. and, and send us something yes. that challenges, ask. challenges our acerbic wit. Yes. Ask us when we got into wine. <laughs> oh, I was a two-year-old, actually. <laughs> no. All right. Our next, our first question is, it comes from uh, a loyal listener of ours. Uh, it's a good question. It's a good, slightly long question, but it's a good one. Uh, Scott Bodger from Sacramento, who has asked us a question or two in the past. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. He says, a friend just returned from wine country in Willamette County, uh, Willamette, Willamette Country, is, uh, in, which is up in Oregon. Oregon. Uh, right. And she asked me if I'd ever tried white Pinot. I answered, what the heck is white Pinot? I looked now, in there's a man after my own heart. Asked the question, doesn't know the answer, says, I don't know. I don't know. So I looked into it and asked my wine-loving parents, but still I'm a bit confused. Now, this is where it gets good. Of course I know Pinot Noir and its color, red, garnet. Garnet, so yes. Is, all wines are, all red Scott, wines are garnet. With color, an exclamation good. Mainly from listening to your show, which already I worry for him, I am also aware <laughs> that, correct me if I'm wrong, all grape juice is the same color regardless of the grape's color and two, red wine gets its color from contact with the skins. Right. So, so all grape with, juice is white. With uh, one or two exceptions. Really rare, weird. Yeah, Alicante Boucher is yeah. a grape that comes up, but, but that's about the only one anyone's but, ever going to recognize. Grape juice is white, and he's absolutely yes. right. He, you yes. know, he's not only a loyal listener. He pays he's a attention. Listener, well, it, maybe not. We may we may not have educated him. He may just know this yes. stuff. Yes, but in any case, you are right. So here's his. He has a, three questions, and they're all good ones. Okay. Is white Pinot made from Pinot Noir grape juice that does not spend any time in contact with its Noir skins? Uh, if this is the case, can white wine be made from all traditionally red wine grapes simply by not letting the juice in contact with the skins? And three, if so, why don't we see winemakers doing this more? For example, producing white Cabernet or white Merlot. Uh, or in the more traditional red, or in addition to the more traditional red versions. So the first okay, thing so, before we get to all uh, of well, these, well, I got the answers. Yes, yes, and it, because it, it, it's not very much, very uh, lucrative. Yes, actually, the thing is, <laughs> white the white Pinot might have been Pinot Blanc. It might have been Pinot Blanc, but we're going to assume for the moment that it wasn't. Pinot Blanc is just another clone. You know, like Pinot Grigio is a is a cousin or relationship of Pinot Noir. Cousin Pinot is a good Blanc. Term. Is is another cousin, right. so it's possible, and it's a white, and it is it's a white grape by the name. It is blanc. blanc, so you can you in fact you can only make white wine from Pinot Blanc. Actually, the the the, the confusion all stems from someone asking Scott white Pinot because of course that's not an official wine term. White Pinot, you can have Pinot Blanc, which is wine made from a white grape of the Pinot family, but Pinot Gris is also a white grape, so you have to say Pinot Blanc. You can't just say white Pinot. Right. And traditionally, the um, the white wine that you make from Pinot Noir is often called 
blanc de noir, which means white from black. Right. So, but the answer to all those questions is yes. Uh, and and uh, <laughs> yes, we're but, done. But but let me tell a, quick, a very quick story about our friend White Zimmendel, because yes. White Zimmendel started off white. Uh, and this is it's a much better uh, and it's a much longer story. But uh, the initial uh, the folks at Sutter Home were uh, bleeding off juice, basically just you know siphoning some of the juice off of their the skins, the, the, the skins before it had any skin contact. Right. Um, before it so could pick to up make any a more color. concentrated Zimbabwe, we're talking back into the middle '60s, um, and and they would try to sell it as a white wine. And um, it was actually they were making like 200 cases of it. Uh, and Daryl Cordy, the the world famous grocer and 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 smart uh, food and wine guy in Sacramento, would carried uh, it was actually 400 cases. Carried 200 of them and and said they moved like manhole covers. Um, <laughs> but once they accidentally got some skin contact and managed to get it a little sweet. Uh-huh. So now it was pink and a little sweet, and and people and tasted Katie it and loved it. And, yeah. yeah. Next yeah. thing you know, an entire world has changed. Yeah. But, but so that, but Zinfandel, white Zinfandel could be white. So, so any so, grape so could be white. So back to Scott, white Pinot could either be Pinot Blanc made from the Blanc cousin of Pinot Noir, or it could be white wine made from Pinot Noir with no skin contact. So it's just the juice. Right. And then the second question he asks: Can white wine be made from all traditionally red wine grapes? And the answer is. Pretty much. Um, it may end up being a little pink, but pretty much you can make white wine from almost any red grape because the juice of all red grapes starts out white. And then the third question was, why don't winemakers do this? And the answer is usually because you can get more money for red wine than you can for a white wine made from those grapes. Yeah, and it might be really hard to, to even sell a bottle of white Cabernet, to be honest. Yeah, know? although yeah. although wineries have done it in the past. Yeah. I mean, it does exist. Yeah. Yep. So, all right. So uh, we hope that it, uh, it doesn't uh, stop you from being a loyal listener, Scott. <laughs> Maybe even answer that question. All right. The next one comes from Robbie in Thousand Oaks. Robbie says, I subscribe to a couple wine mags, so I get a lot of email wine offers. I don't trust most of them, but Smart. I pay attention because I think they tell me what wines uh, uh, what wines they think I might buy. In other words, oh, yeah. uh, what Robbie's saying, what wines are popular. Right. My question is, how come I never get offers to buy a Merlot? That's a, I don't know the answer to that question, Ron. You know, but I can, as somebody who also gets just, you know, gear on those lists, I get a lot of those email offers. Yeah. And, and I agree. I, do, I just can't remember the last time I saw a, I a wonder if it's uh, residual from Sideways. You know, Merlot is still an incredibly popular wine in America. It's the third most popular third most wine popular in America. Wine. Yep. Yep. But I wonder if the people who want to buy wine through the mail or through these special offers have seen Sideways and they're not going to drink any beep. Merlot. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm, I'm just thinking out loud here. So a lot of the, the male <laughs> offers— a change. Yeah. <laughs> the well, thinking part, not the out loud part. <laughs> well, and, you know, it's with, without, any, without any aforethought, <laughs> aforethought of thinking, uh, I'm going to be wrong. I'm going to disagree with myself halfway through this sentence. <laughs> but a lot of the wine offers tend to be one of two things. They tend to be large groups of wines that are—or groups of wines that you get some fantastic price— Allegedly, right. or right. some spectacular wine with some spectacular score from a spectacular place. Once again, allegedly, and in some ways, Merlot probably doesn't fit in, in either one of those categories very often. You know, it, it's not going to be this really glamour wine. Certainly, and it's not going to feel wi- like it's a bargain wine. Yeah, either. certainly, one of the a lot of the wine magazines have a hard time giving a really high score to a Merlot. They give Cabernet 
scores right. to 95, 100 right. points, uh, like like handing out candy at Christmas. But we then, get questions on that now and then too. Yeah. Is, is yeah, why yeah. is it that some grapes never seem to get the highest scores? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, but in any case, so the the answer, but so that's the answer. Is sort of, they probably don't think that you're going to buy it, Robbie. Yeah, they yeah, yeah. Know. That's probably it. All right. Well, that's it for questions for now. We will have more in just a bit. But first, time to do a little torture for you. We got some really horrible wine writing. Yep, yep, I was dancing. I can't help myself. Can't help myself. <laughs> All right. Some really horrible words coming from you, Mr. Wagner. Well, I, you know, there, there are a few things here. You know, we've big, big news these days, of course, is a few of the journalists out there keep talking about natural wine as if most of the wine is somehow manufactured right, wine. Right. And so um, that's one of my words that I disagree with right now is I don't see – there's, there's what's, what's manufactured wine? You know, if, if you go back to the way people were making wine 100 years ago, there isn't anybody on the, on the, in the planet who's making wine that way anymore. So right. everybody's using modern technology in one way or another. Right. And it's – part of making wine. You know, it's it's the old story of, gee, if I ferment at exactly this temperature, the wine tastes good. If it gets too hot, it could get stuck and it'll taste bad. If it gets too cold, it could develop some off character. It'll taste bad. So I'm going to control the temperature. And then it's a manufactured wine. No, it's just a wine that tastes good. And well, and so many other food products that are like that as well, that, you yeah. know, that I mean, there's, there's rarely does something go from you know, we, we talk about farm to fork. It doesn't go from the farm to the glass or farm to the fork without some processing, sterilizing, cleaning, you know, whatever. Or, or even just, just to make it so you can eat it or drink even it. Even just quality control. Right? This stuff gets through and that stuff doesn't. Yeah. Right. So, you know, uh, I, that, so you have a whole list of terms well, this that is, you these think are, belong I, well, on Let's this. talk about these for just a second because these are these code words. Right. And manufactured wine is one of them. They're not all bad. Right. Uh, but another one is old world style. That, uh-huh. Which, which, unless you know what they're talking about, you don't know what they're talking about. Well, and in fact, these days, I think it's pretty hard to define what old world style is. It used, you know, twenty years ago, there was a much bigger difference between new world and old world, and now there isn't that big a difference. And it's pretty hard sometimes to taste some of the wines from France and Italy and say, "Oh, that's a." I mean, if it's a new world style and it's made in Italy or France, oh, what is what do these terms mean anymore? Yeah, there's there's a couple other ones here too. Um, uh, another one that is generally means nothing to anyone is hmm. is a right bank blend or a right bank style. Right. If you study Bordeaux, you know that means that it's more Merlot and Cab Franc and less Cabernet Sauvignon. But boy, the average consumer who knows that right bank. Right. Right and right, you know, right bank of what is it the, the is it the the Bank of America next to the Wells Fargo? <laughs> is it or the maybe it's the Citibank next to the worst? Um, and then there's those two couple words that the um, that you hear from the I don't know, whether it's the cool kids or the wine writers or whatever. And and you know the the second word is bomb or the last, but the first word means the opposite. So on for the bad folk or the folk that mean it as an insult, yeah. it would be an oak bomb. Well, yeah, and that's a wine that just they left it too long in the in the tank in the barrel, or they added too much oak chips or whatever. But it tastes too much like oak and not enough like grapes. Yeah, or or it, actually, it might just be an oaky wine. It might just be a little you know, right. white and softened, I, but I, for them, they don't like it. I don't mind that term, Rick. Yeah. I think that term tells people something about the wine. Okay, what about an acid bomb? Uh, See, I think that's a cool kid term. Is it? 
I, I, yeah. I, I wouldn't know. Neither you nor I are cool kids. Well, and that, you see, and because I don't use it, I, I assume it's a cool kid term. Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it is true that if you tell any consumer in America that the wine has good acid, good acid, they will immediately assume that they don't right. like it. Right. But it is, uh, you know, we had we had one wine description a couple of shows back about uh, this, this is for the acid hounds. It's that same sort of thing. Right. Like It's like, you know, if you if you're really out there looking for the right wines, you'd, you'd be going for the acid bombs. So that's, you know, that's, uh-huh. the, you know, and if you if you, you know, on purposely bought an oak bomb, then you're a bad person. Right. Well, people like oak. They'll drink yeah. oak. I yeah. do have a friend who's a winemaker who once made a wine where he gave it basically 10 times the normal amount of oak in making the wine. And I have had that wine in wine competitions and all the judges hated that wine. And when I, he was one of the judges and I went over and I said, get a load of this. And he laughed. He said, I made that wine and it is selling gangbusters. People love it. So if you like oak, look for the oak bombs. That's all I got to say. That's what I'm saying. Just stay away. The the code words, uh, we don't like them at all. All right. We're going to go back and take a few more questions before we run out of time here. Uh, If you'd like to ask us a question, you can find us, of course, at reganpawwine.com, all one word. This next one comes from Pat in Sacramento. What exactly makes a wine a super Tuscan? Are there specific guidelines? Does it even have to come from Tuscany? (laughs) That's a great question. Yeah. Because— It does not. It's a thing. It's almost a code word. let's, Let's start with how it started which is it started by the fact that most of the very well-known red wine-producing regions of Tuscany, Chianti Classico, Brunello de Montalcino, and Vino Nobile de Montepulciano, there's a, there's a pronunciation guide in the back of the book. Yes, you, Rick, yeah, thanks. Um, thanks. Those wines all have very, very strict regulations as to how you make the wine. And there were grape growers and winemakers in Tuscany who wanted to make wines that didn't follow those regulations. They actually thought they could make wines that would rival the greatest red wines in the world and yet not follow the regulations. So they didn't follow the regulations. Right. And, and, and because of that— they were also reaching for a sort of the, the what would be considered, quote-unquote, you know, French or international varietals. It was, it was Cabernet was well, a that, big piece of that. One of the regulations yeah. was that in Tuscany, most of, the, most of the red wine has to be predominantly Sangiovese, and they wanted to add some other grapes into right. it. So that's how it started. Now— as they have become successful, some of them have created their own regions over there, and they are making their own wines in those regions, and those regions have regulations as to how you make that wine. But the actual term Super Tuscan is not a regulated term. And, in fact, you'll find California wines, whether, you know, that somebody is making Cabernet and putting Sangiovese in it and calling it a Super a Tuscan. A Super Tuscan blend. Right. Yeah. Right. Yep. So if it comes from Tuscany— then there may it may come from a one of these newer regions, an IGT wine, for example, that does have some general guidelines on how it's made. But Super Tuscan generally means a blend of traditionally French grapes with traditionally Italian Sangiovese. Right, and uh, they are across the board in terms of um, both flavor and and profiles too, and pricing, know, and pricing, well, and yeah, pricing. Yeah, yeah. yeah, some of the most expensive wines in the world. Yeah, that's Some true. Some of them. That's true. Yep. Uh, and this one is uh, from Casey in Eureka. 
which is, I would just point out, Rick, this is not wine country. Eureka is not wine country. It's, it's kind of fog country. Fog country. I have flown in and out of Eureka more than uh, once. It's a great little town, but I do know that that airport was built as a fog landing training uh, place for <laughs> during World War II. So uh, I see. For what it okay. always makes me comfortable flying. <laughs> uh, my wife knows more about wine than I do. And Rick, she, this question should be for you. It's true. And she has a better palate. No, there you continuing go. On. So usually I just do what she does. <laughs> Um, we had a wine in a restaurant that she said went bad, but I actually liked it. So I have two questions. She wanted to send it back, but I didn't. Is there an etiquette for that besides the rule that my wife is right way more than I am? And <laughs> can you get sick from a wine that went bad? Let's answer the second question Because that first. one's easier, yeah. <laughs> no. Probably not. Yeah, it's going to be The hard. levels of alcohol and acidity in wine are so high that there are essentially no human pathogens. That's right. That I've, heard, I've, that's, I've had it described to me that way by a doctor. Of course, this guy was kind of a bit of a lush, but no. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Now, the real question is, so we go out to a restaurant. The waiter brings us the wine. We start drinking the wine. And Rick says, this is great. And Paul tastes it and says... That's funny. I clearly detect a note of cork taint, of trichloranosol in here. The wine is defective. What do you do? Now, the reason I use that example is different people are sensitive to different things Absolutely. in wine. My wife, for example, is very sensitive to volatile acidity, uh, acetone, vinegar. I'm less sensitive to that. So I'm willing to drink wines that she smells. and I mean, she will smell it and say, I don't want to drink that wine. She'd call it an acid bomb. It's... It's if you are in a restaurant and you're both paying for the bottle or you're paying for the bottle together and you're sharing the bottle and one of you, perhaps because they are more sensitive, can't drink the wine, you send it back. Yeah. Well, the thing is you about sending a wine back, though, uh, you got to do it early. You can't drink half the bottle and then decide <laughs> right. it's time. Right. Casey, you can't drink half of it and then say, my wife doesn't like this right. wine. So, We'd like so, a new bottle. So the, here's the thing, Casey, and it sounds like this may happen anyways. Have your wife taste it when it shows up at the table. Well, Just remember, that's what you're tasting when you do well, when they bring it is, if it, is it bad? That's a whole question right there. And, and if I'm Casey and his wife has a more developed palate and is – either more critical or fussier about the wines, when the waiter comes and starts to pour, he says, no, 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 pour it for her. Right. She's the one who needs to decide. And, and and no matter who ordered that wine, even if your wife talked to the waiter, he's probably going to drop it on you first. He's yeah, probably bringing it to the guy. That's what waiters do. It's part of their job as they instruct us. Is to be sexist? Yes. yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's right. They're teaching you that uh, sexism is still an important thing. That's right. Um, all right. Well, uh, so, in, yeah, but I think fundamentally there in the middle of that question there, Casey, uh, this is our bit of relationship uh, advice. Which Your is, wife is always right. You're right. My wife is right way more than I am. I think that's a really good guideline. He, he knows this. He yes. recognizes this. We, he just needs we applaud you for to that. give in. Yes. That's right. Act, act, on, act on what you know. <laughs> All right. Well, we act on what we know, so we're closing down the show for today <laughs> we, anyway. We don't know anymore. <laughs> that's about all we have. So that is it for another round of Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. Our producer is the lovely Matt Bassini. Thank you, Matt. Thank you, Matt. Thanks to Capital Public Radio for the studio use and for including us, including us in their podcast line. In their recommended list of podcasts. On their recommended podcast. Absolutely. Ask us a question. Um, if it's not May 6th yet, uh, depending when you're listening to this, come see us at Amador Four Fires in Plymouth, California, and ask us a question. And if you've learned anything today, we hope it's that you do not need to go to class to drink wine. I'm Rick Cushman. <laughs> and I'm Paul Wagner. Remember, the best wines you drink are with friends. Or with us. Especially us. Yes.